What a beautiful day to be in the house of the Lord and also to be reminded that the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thanks for that prelude, Nora. Uh, what a joy it is to be gathered here and also in homes across the county. And, and really, as we're seeing across the country, as folks are tuning in and receiving the ministry of Lenore Presbyterian Church uh, via live streaming and also picking it up later from our website. Several important announcements this morning. One, just a reminder that tonight we have both faith friends at 5 o'clock. And if it's not any worse than it is now, we're going to be out in the parking lot, but uh, we may also be in the fellowship hall if it's really stormy or rainy. And then youth at 5 o'clock also uh, slated to be at the outback, the tent out behind the church. But again, if it's bad weather, they will be here in the sanctuary. So um, birth to fifth grade, fellowship hall if it's bad weather, uh, middle school and senior highs uh, in the sanctuary if it's really bad weather this afternoon. Uh, also, a very important announcement, in the narthex, in the entryway as you leave today, will be large aluminum pans with lids and inside a recipe for one or another of uh, easy all-in-one container meals uh, that are both inexpensive and simple to fix. And they're not out there right now because the first service took the very large supply that Natalie brought this morning, thinking it would be enough for both services, not to put any pressure on us here, but almost every car did take a pan as they left first service. I'm not surprised by that. We love to eat together, so why not fix a meal for a family? These meals will be frozen and they will be handed out over the coming month or two uh, to families that are fostering or are adopting children just to give them a night when it's all done with one sliding a pan in the oven. It's a great service project. You can do it really easily and hope and pray that you'll take a pan today. Uh, let us pray as we begin worship. Lord, we thank you and praise you. We give you all glory in this moment. Blessing and honor is yours and yours alone. Now, Lord, remove from us considerations of other things that we need to be doing. And let us just focus our hearts and our minds to worship you. We love you and give you all praise in Jesus name. Amen. It's a joy this morning to have Julie Darcy, uh, who almost, well, gosh, I think probably every Christmas for years and years and years, I know all the Christmases that I've been here, 15 now, she uh, plays at our Christmas Eve service, and it's a joy uh, that because she's been here caring for her mom, and probably a little bit for you, Jim, uh, and her brother Stephen, that she is able to be here and bring us uh, some special music this morning. Let's worship God as we listen. Thank you. 
Thank you, Julie. And thanks, Nora. <laughs> you know, we take you for granted sometimes. You're here every week, but praise God for the music talents of so many in this congregation. What a blessing it is as we are able to worship God. Uh, let us turn our attention now to the Lord in prayer and let's bow our heads. And Father, we just thank you again that you have given us this incredible gift of prayer. Help us to fall in love with it every day more and more. And, and through prayer and the, the intimacy that you bring us into with you through it, let us, Lord, know the depth of your love more nearly and clearly. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. We thank you that we can cry out in a moment of need and you listen. But help us to cry out when all is good and, and full in life with our gratitude and our praise of your holiness. Lord, thank you that your righteousness has given us new life. Let us never take that for granted. Let us always rejoice in it. And, and the best way we can show our joy in it, Lord, is by sharing with others that we have been made right, not our, by our own effort, but by the grace, the mercy of Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, his victory over the tomb, and his life seated at your right hand. Lord, we find ourselves in these days when wickedness is growing all the stronger, crying out, Lord, come, Jesus, come. Let this be the day. But Father, let us see each day, not as the day that you might come, but as the day that we are here and our task is to share good news with others, to brighten people's lives, to make their way easier. And when they say, why did you care? To say, because God loves me and he loves you also. Lord God, this is not how we act naturally. By our nature, we are sinners, as we'll sing later, vilest offenders. Forgive us, and you have, but let us remember our forgiveness that we might be freed to serve you. And so now as we both fall silent to, to remember our sins and our brokenness and, and the healing and deliverance we need to see afresh, Lord, also turn our hearts and minds to the needs of others, that we might pray for physical healing, for mental or emotional healing, Lord, for salvation and spiritual renewal. Hear our prayers. Robin. And Lord, we thank you that you hear our prayers, whether we utter them aloud. And, and Lord, even when we don't know what to pray, your Holy Spirit prays for us, intercedes for us, and we do depend upon him. 
And thank you, Lord, for that presence which is, who is with us always. And now by your Holy Spirit, Lord, let us be bold to pray as Christ said that we should pray in this manner, pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. <coughs> we give God praise for, oh, thank you so much for stepping right up there. Children's Church, children, ages kindergarten through third grade, you can go with Miss Corey and Miss Julie this morning, the dynamic duo this morning. What a blessing. Hey, one of the hardest parts of COVID, there have been lots of difficulties with this season, and one of the difficulties has been not to be able to see all of our children as often as we love to see them, uh, but they are out there, and praise the Lord that our families are caring families uh, who are helping them in their education and in their life through a treacherous season. We'll come to God's Word in just a few moments uh, this morning as we turn to the tail end of Ecclesiastes 8 and move through the ninth chapter this morning. Uh, just a few chapters left. If, if you are going, amen, praise God, Ecclesiastes, I can see the end of it. Um, hang, hang on. If uh, you as many have been kind to say that you really have loved Ecclesiastes for a long time and very thankful to be walking through it. Uh, thank you for that encouragement. Um, it has been a wonderful journey for me, and I hope and pray it's been edifying. That is, upbuilding to the body of Christ as we build our lives on the cornerstone who is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And all that we should do uh, should bring us to, to that. Um, one of the things that's true about my life and perhaps about yours is that I love a good mystery. Um, I have always enjoyed Sherlock Holmes, Hercule Poirot, Miss Marple, I, I, and, and even some of the newer mysteries. Um, and, and you know, with a good mystery, when you've, when you've got a good mystery, I'm holding the Bible right now, and it's not by God's grace a mystery, but uh, when you're holding a good mystery book, you, you find yourself, once you're in it, that you just want to keep reading. And so uh, you, every spare moment that you might have in a day, you pick up that book and try to just read a few more pages and then you read some more and then you suddenly realize, wait, the day is done, it's time for bed, so you prop up the pillows in the bed so that you can read just a few more pages and then those few more pages turn into a few more hours as you're just reading and reading page after page, anxious to find out who done it. And then somewhere finally in the wee hours of the morning in the last pages of the book, Finally, the plot resolves, the mystery is solved, you close the book, you can get some rest. Sounds like a mini version of life, doesn't it? 
Ecclesiastes says that we fight every day. We're trying to grab another minute, another bit here, and, and we're trying to make sense of life in each and every day. And, and we're always kind of restless because the mystery of life always seems to be just over the horizon. We think, oh, if I just pass here, I will be able to understand what this is all about. And then we get over that and we realize that nah, it's, there's still a little more I can't quite grasp and understand. And in his quirky and, and obviously often confusing language, Solomon points us forward to what was in his day the coming Christ wisdom of God's revelation in Jesus Christ that we now know is God's solution. We should say he is, Jesus is, God's solution to the mystery of life. The granddaddy of Reformed theology, St. Augustine, you may say Augustine, after the Florida version, but St. Augustine, the granddaddy of, of Reformed theology, wrote this in his confessions. He was speaking about God. He said, you stir man to take pleasure in praising you because you have made us for yourself and our heart is restless until it rests in you. And you know, life is filled with soap bubbles. We've talked about that all the way through Ecclesiastes, that this life under the sun can be compared to uh, trying to capture and hold on to soap bubbles. And if you can remember the last time that you were blowing soap bubbles, and if you were the one chasing after them, that can be pretty exhausting work trying to get a soap bubble that you could actually maybe even for a nanosecond have rest in your hand and not pop in that moment. And that's how life is. We, we are chasing after these soap bubbles of existence. And it's exhausting. And truly, Solomon reminds us, only God brings the resolution of peace and rest, His grace for which He paid with the life of His Son. And our morning text this morning suggests to me, and I propose to you this morning, Four questions that we can ask in this text, but quite honestly, as I studied through them, and I hope you'll agree, these are four questions that we should ask way more often than just on a Sunday when the preacher is preaching about Ecclesiastes 8 and 9. First question What are you living for? What are you living for? An angel of the Lord sent a message. Uh, to the major news networks and the message was very brief a message from God it's, and the angel said God says the world will end tomorrow so uh, CNN started its report like this the world will end tomorrow a reliable source says Fox News business let Maria Bartiromo begin with this byline the world ends tomorrow markets plunge MSNBC's anchor started with a shout, we're gone! And Fox News led with news alert, the world will end tomorrow. In response, Congress has approved term limits in school prayer. If the world... Would, thanks, Doug, for laughing. I'll pay you later. In all seriousness, if the world were to end tomorrow, 
And the Bible tells us that it could very well do that. We don't know the day or the hour. If the world will end tomorrow, what are we living for today? Are are you striving each day somehow to bring some meaning to life? Or have you, in true wisdom, turned over your existence to the one who knew you before you were even procreated? Solomon writes at the end of Ecclesiastes 8, beginning at 16th verse, When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one eyes sleep, see sleep, then I saw all the work of God that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. These verses remind us that God's work, what God is doing, cannot be fully comprehended. The Apostle Paul and others in the New Testament say it, but Paul says it this way in Romans 11.33, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable are His ways! God is bigger. This is no, no huge revelation from the pulpit here, folks. We know this. God is bigger than our brain power can encompass. But what happens so often is when we say, oh, I can't figure out God. I can't figure out life. What that leads many people to is despair. But it should lead us to hope. Why hope? Because God's mystery alerts us to our limits. Listen to that. God's mystery alerts us to our limits. If you want to know the measure of love, it is when someone reveals what is mysterious so that you can see what you ought to be able to see, what, how you are limited in life. And so God has revealed His mystery in the Word of God so that we know our limits. We know beyond that, what we cannot go beyond. And it reminds us that we should live for God according to God's way, not for self. You see, when we are aware of what we can't control, then we're liberated to enjoy what God has placed in our hands. What we're living for suddenly transcends life under the sun. So chapter 8 of Ecclesiastes ends reminding us to hope in God's greatness. To hope in God's greatness. Chapter 9 begins by reminding us that the person who lives only under the sun isn't even concerned with eternity because he doesn't even really think about eternity because he has not seen the revelation of God. We believers know Jesus who is God's revelation. Revelation of the mystery. And so we understand that there is an eternity. We know about that. Which leads us to a second question. What are you dying for? Listen to Ecclesiastes, the first six verses of chapter 9. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. 
Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun. That the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil. And madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Now, as these first six verses uh, show us once again, but we have seen this elsewhere in Ecclesiastes, Solomon, in all his wisdom, spent a great deal of time thinking about death which is actually something that most human beings like. It's a subject we mostly like to avoid. And in fact, if you get thinking about death too much, what do people say? How morbid. How grim. And it's something we don't like to think about. But Solomon said that thinking about death puts life in perspective. Thinking about death puts life in perspective. And verse 2 reminds us, uh, actually more than verse 2, but several of these verses remind us that death comes to the righteous just as it does to the wicked. In other words, we are all dying for something. Every day, we are all dying for something. So there's something that we should realize. Check out verse 4 again. He who is joined with all the living has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. In other words, where there's life, there's hope. That's straightforward. But let's just unpack this verse a little bit more. Particularly in Solomon's time, but even still somewhat true today, lions were seen as the most noble of beasts. They were the regal beast, a sign of royalty, if you will. And particularly in Solomon's day, and probably unlike the dog's life nowadays, a dog was a dog and a scavenger in life. And so what Solomon is writing here, what God's Word is writing here, it's better to be a living scavenger who can still change his or her situation than it is to be a dead king of the beasts. Life under the sun is brief. And and. Its purpose is to prepare for that moment when death comes and done. And our future is locked in forever. Because we only have this life. And at that moment when death comes, then we can't make any other decisions after that, right? And so what we want to pray for, beloved, is that our future and that the future of everybody God puts us in the path of is locked into a true and certain hope that ensures a great eternity. Which leads to a third question. What do you enjoy? Look at verse 7. Because Solomon again lays out what we should enjoy. This is not new news in Ecclesiastes. 
Go, eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Think Psalm 23 there. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that He has given you under the sun because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol, just in the grave, to which you are going. I have to give credit uh, to the late uh, and wonderful Bible teacher, Ray Stedman, who helped me see the importance of the second half of verse 7. Listen to it again. For God has already approved what you do. For God has already approved what you do. I researched the Hebrew, and, and literally this verse in the Hebrew reads, For now, comma, God favors your deeds. And the Hebrew word for favors, ratza, means to be pleased with or to find it favorable. So God has approved the basics of life that He provides, the, the basics of daily food and drink, of relationships, of, of work that we can do. And it's up to us to be content with what God approves. Or, if we're not content with what God approves and gives to us in our lives, then we will be forever striving after that which we don't have and wanting what the other person has. Doing what God has made us able to do today. Not what He may enable us to do tomorrow. Not what we could do yesterday. But what God makes us able to do today, that's contentment. And it's a blessing. Which leads to a fourth and final question. What are you living for? What are you dying for? What do you enjoy? But finally, what do you value? Verse 11. Again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time. Like fish that are taken in an evil net and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun and it seemed great to me and Solomon relates a parable to us. There was a little city with a few men in it. And a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. The world tells us what to value. Every day the world says... Speed matters. Strength matters. Intelligence. Value that. But in the end, don't all of those things fail us? 
No matter how righteous we may have been in gaining speed or strength or intelligence, no matter how wise we may have been in employing them into our lives, eventually they run out. And what are we left with? Well, God points us always as we seek Him in His Word. God will always point us in His love to that Wisdom that brings deliverance. And to value that wisdom that brings deliverance above all things. After all, Jesus, the man of God's perfect wisdom, right? He was was God's wisdom incarnate. He was despised. Rejected. Check it out, Isaiah 53. Because God always chooses what is low and despised. You want to check that out? Go to 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, the 26th through the 31st verses. God will always choose what is low and what is despised in the world to reveal His glory. Even you and me. What do you value in life? You see, valuing the fleeting stuff of soap bubbles has never brought any true meaning to anyone's existence. In a church I served, a couple decided that they didn't like where the elders were going and they wanted to influence where the congregation would go. So they wrote an incredibly large check to the church and said it needs to be used for this which was at right angles to where the session and the congregation through prayer and study of Scripture knew they needed to go. Praise God, the elders of that church knew what they valued. They knew what was truly valuable in the world, and so they thanked the couple graciously. They thanked them. And they gave me the check and told me to hand it back to the couple. Which actually I rejoiced to do because I was with the elders and so glad that they knew what they valued. But as a former banker, it was really hard to hand that size of a check back. What do you live and die for? What do you enjoy and value? You see, when we're clear on the answers to questions like that, then we can avoid, not not 100%, but largely we can avoid chasing after life's soap bubbles. Do you know what you value? Is your heart at rest in God? Because you see, God has revealed His mystery. Read Paul. God has revealed His mystery in His Son, Jesus Christ. And He's resolved it. Who done it? If it's bad, we did it. If it's good, God done it. Who we live for and and what we're dying for each day, we can know that. We don't have to wonder. We can know what we truly should enjoy and what really does bring joy to life. And we can understand what we value in this life under the sun. And our minds will be renewed and our souls transformed as our hearts rest in the God who loves us and who has clearly revealed Himself in His Son, 
our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. To God be the glory. Which is why when Dave Williams suggested this hymn, I said, perfect. To God be the glory. We love everybody to be singing. And you know what? I have been able to say every week, I haven't seen anybody singing, which means that you've all had your masks on while we're singing in this room. At home, I hope you can sing along with us. Let's sing, To God be the glory.